Hallelujah. Good to be back. Feel like I'm at home. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for your warm greeting. And uh, before I get started, Pastor Jack mentioned Carolyn, so I want all of you to see her. Stand up, Carolyn, if you will. We've been married a long, long time. In fact, I can't remember when I wasn't married. We met when I was 11 and she was nine, grew up on the same street, married when I was 19 and she was 17, and uh, 54 years, praise God. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Hallelujah. Her pastor, Jack Moore, used to say, uh, and he kind of gave a loose translation of this. He said, uh, the Bible says when a man finds a, a good wife, he finds a good thing. If you just find a wife, you just got a thing. <laughs> well, I got a good wife, praise God. I didn't, get a, I didn't get a thing, I got a good wife, hallelujah, amen. She has had my back all these years, and I'm so grateful for it, praise God. Open your Bibles tonight, if you will, first of all, to the book of Psalm. Which one, Brother Jerry? Oh, I'll just pick anyone. No, let's go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. A scripture I don't want to read, a couple of scriptures out of Psalm 37 that have been so meaningful to me all these years. Uh, come February, just a few months down the road, I'll be celebrating 52 years in the ministry. And I've had the privilege of preaching in 46 different nations. And that song we just got through singing, I, I love that chorus. That's my song. He's been faithful all my life, all my Christian life. God has been faithful. I, I can't tell you how many times, it'd take a long time for me to tell you how many times He has come through for us in 52 years of ministry. Always come through for us. I cannot say that God has disappointed me, ever, ever disappointed me. Of course, I am his favorite child. I mean, that's the reason he does everything he does for me, you know, but no, he's been so good to me, he makes me feel that way. And, and I know you come a close second, but I am his favorite child, praise God, <laughs> amen. That's the way you ought to feel. But I learned this way back in 1969 when I surrendered my life to him. I, told you this in the past. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I'd been running from God since 1957 when I heard the call of God, watching Oral Roberts on television. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on automobiles. I wanted to race automobiles. I wanted to build hot rods. I wanted to restore classic cars, and that's what I did. Uh, and when I finally accepted the Lord in 1969, I had an automotive business where I did all those things. I was living my dream, but I wasn't living God's dream. And in 1969, Brother Copeland came to Shreveport, and uh, I went the last night he was there, and I heard the message of faith. I heard the Word preached like I'd never heard before, and it changed my life. And I immediately surrendered my life to the Lord, and I said, if you still want me, here I am. 
I've been running from you for, for a long time, but if you still want me, then I surrender to you. I shut the business down, began to prepare for full-time ministry, and I've been doing that ever since that time. And this is one of those verses that I read in those early days during the first three months of my walk with the Lord that just really uh, ministered to me. Now, back when I first found it, I was a young man. Uh, I was 23 years old, I think. And uh, I'm almost 74 now. So when I first read it, uh, I would change it up just a little bit because it says in verse... Uh, uh, 25, Psalm 37, 25. I have been young. Yes. There you go. And now I'm old. Right. Well, back then I would say, I'm still young. Right. One day I'll be old. That's but I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now today I can say it a little differently. I once was young. Now I'm older. I'm not old, I'm older. I once was young, and now I'm older. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's my testimony. God has never, ever forsaken me. He's been with me in the good times. He's been with me in the bad times. He's been with me uh, when, when the world was going through great turmoil, and God sustained me. God kept me going, and and God always took care of me. Amen. Amen. And coming into this year, particularly during the month of March, when it all hit and everything shut down, I held fast to this verse. I once was young. Now I'm older. But I've never been forsaken by God. Amen. And I've never had to beg bread. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 52 years of ministry, and I've never had to beg for one offering ever. And I have preached in over 3,500 churches in just America alone. That doesn't include all the churches I've preached in in 46 different nations. But I've never had to beg bread. Not once, hallelujah. Never had to, uh, uh, you know, go on based on a financial arrangement ahead of time. You know, some people would call our office and say, how much does Brother Savell require? And they'll say, he doesn't require anything. If the Lord tells him to come, he'll come. Right. Whether you give him an offering or not. In fact, I've paid for the privilege of preaching in some churches. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I paid my own way. I bought my own room. I paid for my own food. And, and, uh, and then when they gave me the offering, I turned around and gave it back to them. Amen. Amen. And God's always taken care of me. Amen. I remember back in the 70s, early 70s, about 74, 75, uh, a, a young man came to work for me, and, and you've probably heard of him because he later went on to become a famous recording artist, Russ Taff. Russ worked with me before he went with the Imperials. And I met Russ when he was just a young man and uh, thought he had one of the most amazing voices I'd ever heard. And he came to work for me. And Russ traveled with me all over the country. He didn't know anything about the Word of Faith back then, so I was his mentor. And uh, so 
we were going up to Illinois, and I was going to be doing a meeting on the University of Illinois campus, and I was going to be there for three nights. On the way up there, and back in those days, uh, Russ and I drove everywhere. Uh, we, we had a GMC van, and we drove up there, and we'd have all the equipment in the back, and you know, back, remember, cassette tapes, and, and I had maybe a couple of books back then. And uh, so we'd drive everywhere, and we're going to Illinois. On the way up there, as I was praying, the Lord said, I don't want you to receive one offering during this meeting. Now I'm preaching three services a day for three days. And he said, I don't want you to receive one offering during this entire meeting. I said, why would I not want to do that? <laughs> he said, because I'm going to show you that I can take care of you, whether you get an offering or not. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thank Amen. So I turned to Russ. He was driving at that moment. I said, Russ, we're going up here and we're going to do these three days and three services a day. And I'm not receiving one offering the entire time I'm there. He looked at me and I knew what he was thinking. I perceived his thoughts. <laughs> well, how am I going to get paid? You know, I said, God's going to show us that he can supply our need in ways that we couldn't dream up in a thousand years. So we're just going to trust God. Amen. And we're going to sow that entire meeting into the people. Amen. And I'm, I'm paying for our hotels. I'm paying for our food. And it's not that I had a, an abundance of money, you know. And, uh, and I said, that's what we're going to do. I said, so set yourself in agreement with me right now. God is going to take care of us and we're not going to receive one offering. Amen. And so I preached every day, three services a day. And the last night, the, the president of the Full Gospel Businessmen Association, which was real strong back then in those days, he asked me if I would stay over and do their banquet. And he said, uh, we normally don't have but about 20 people that show up for the banquet and said, uh, I would love for you to come and do the banquet. And he said, Brother Jerry, uh, our, our chapter is in the hole financially. I, I can't give you a dime, but I sure would love for you to come. And the Lord said, do it. And I said, well, sir, I'll come and you don't, you don't, you don't be concerned about paying me anything. I'm going to sow it as a seed. I said, how many people you got coming? He said, normally about 20. I said, I'm going to pay for their meals too. He said, what? I said, I'm going to pay for their meals. And I shocked myself. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that. That just came right up out of my mouth, you know, without even premeditating it. I said, now pay for their meals. We got there the next night and 200 people showed up. Wow. 200 people. And we're in this little small banquet room in a, in a hotel and they were crowded around me. I couldn't move. They put me in one spot and I couldn't move because of the people all around me. 200 people. And I paid for all their meals. And then the next morning we got in the van and we started home. Now I'd been gone, you know, we traveled. We, when we took us two days up there, all those meetings, two days coming back home. And I stopped in Texacana at the state line. Anybody remember Texacana state line? There's an El Chico restaurant right there at the, at the state line. 
we pulled in there to, to have some lunch. And when I pulled in, uh, we walked in the, the restaurant and uh, there was just a handful of people in there. It was past noon. I noticed there was an elderly couple sitting over to the right as, I, as they were taking us to our table. They, they didn't look up. They didn't see us come in. And they seated us kind of by a window looking out in the driveway, the parking lot. And so we ordered our meal. And uh, before the meal came, this elderly couple came walking over to our table. And the man said, now you got to remember, this is 1974, 75. Not many people knew I existed. And so this man came over and he said, aren't you Jerry Seville? I said, yes, I am. He said, last year you came to Benton, Arkansas. I said, yes, sir, I remember that. He said, and there wasn't a place, a building for you to preach. And you preached off of a porch and everybody came with their own lawn chairs and sat out in this person's front yard. I said, I remember it well. Oh, yes, I remember it well. <laughs> I preached from the front yard. You remember that, Carolyn? I preached from, from the front porch and people came and brought quilts and sat on them in lawn chairs. And he said, my wife and I, we were in that meeting and it changed our lives. Amen. We'd never heard the word preached like that before and it absolutely changed our lives and God has blessed us ever since and said we were sitting over there and, and, and the Lord spoke to us and said send Jerry Savelle some money. Send his ministry some money. I wrote out a check for the amount he told me to write out and we were going to go to the post office and mail it and we looked up and saw you sitting over here. He said, you just saved me a stamp. <laughs> I said, well, I appreciate uh, you, you, you being obedient to the Lord. And he handed me a check. It was all folded up and handed me a check. I, I prayed with him over it. And, and he and his wife walked out, you know. Well, Russ is sitting there, you know, in, inquiring minds want to know. And, and I hadn't opened the check yet. When I opened that check, it more than took care of that three days of meetings. It more than took care of all those lunches I bought. It more than took care of all the expense getting up there and all the expense coming back and had plenty left over, praise God. And God said, see there, I told you, I never forsake the righteous. Amen. Don't ever, don't ever limit me. And that was a valuable lesson. Now, years later, I was invited to come out to, uh, uh, I'll just say, I don't want to say the town nor the church, but I was invited to come out west, <laughs> okay, west of West Texas in another state. And uh, this church had about 4,000 people in it. This is years later. And... Uh, they had me preach four services on Sunday morning. Each service had about a thousand people. And then they received an offer. They picked me up at 630 that morning. And by the time the last service was over, it was 330 in the afternoon. And we had about 20 minutes between each service. I felt like I'd been rode hard and put up wet. OK, and then I had to get in my airplane and fly to Sacramento, California and do a service that night. I just, I just sank in the seat, back seat of that airplane 
and, and flew out to Sacramento. Now, the church that had 4,000 people gave me an offering after it was all done. And... Uh, <laughs> It was $2,500, okay? $2,500. Thousand people in each service, four services. And so he gave me a check for $2,500, okay? Then I got an airplane and I flew to Sacramento. Now, the pastor that picked me up there, he had already told me in advance, Brother Jerry, there's a small tribe, American Indian tribe out here in Sacramento. And they've been begging me to ask you to come preach to them. And he said, we're going to have the meeting in my home, in my living room. And he said, uh, there may be 10, there could be 12, probably not more than that, Native Americans. And we're going to, you're going to stand in my living room. They're going to be on the sofa and chairs and you're going to preach to them. I said, fine. Didn't make any financial arrangements. Didn't tell him I have to have X amount of dollars to do that. No, I just went and got there and it turned out to be 10 of them showed up. And I started preaching to them, started praying for them. And then the, the pastor said, now we're going to receive an offering for Brother Jerry. When they got through, now there were 10 little Indians in that service. <laughs> Remember 10 little Indians? <laughs> there were 10 Native Americans in that meeting, in a living room, and they gave me $25,000. Wow. Amen. And I heard the Lord say again, I never forsake the righteous. That's been a verse I've lived on all these years. I will never forsake the righteous. How many of you are the righteous? Amen. It's not because of how good you are. It's because of how good Jesus is. He's made us the righteousness of God. Can you say amen? The message translation says it this way. Not once have I seen an abandoned believer. God does not abandon his people. That's something that we all need to hold fast to during times like this. Amen. God never abandons his people. Now, back up just a few verses to verse 19. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Well, you could call what we're going through now a famine, a drought, bad economy. You know, all those kind of things that are happening right now. But listen to how this reads from the Passion Translation. Even in a time of disaster, he will watch over them. They will always have more than enough, no matter what happens. Somebody lift your hand and thank God for that. Even in a time of disaster, God watches over his own. He will not abandon them. And he will provide for them more than enough, no matter what. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, well, that's not happening to me, Brother Jerry. Well, then you need to take your faith up to another level. I didn't get much response on this side. Let me try over here. Amen. Amen. God's no respecter of person. Why would he do it for me and not do it for you? 
we, as a ministry, and personally, are having the finest year we've ever had in 52 years of ministry. And I give all the glory to God. Amen. My ministry has not suffered one out, as they say, during this time. In fact, we've had supernatural increase. We've had so many breakthroughs this year. I almost don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to miss anything. Praise God. It's been so good. And, and I keep hearing the Lord say, you haven't seen anything yet. The year's not over. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've been having 20 year dreams come to pass this year. Things I've been believing God for for 20 years have broken loose this year. Hallelujah. In a pandemic. Why? Because I believe this stuff. I don't just preach it. I believe it. I live it. Hallelujah. Amen. Every day of my life. And, and I love that song once again because it's my testimony. God's been so faithful. God's been so good to me. Hallelujah. And I believe it's going to get gooder and gooder. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, go to Psalm 34 for a moment. Psalm 34. And look at verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about, well, I've lost my job. And, and don't misunderstand me, I, I feel for them. I have compassion toward them. And, and I hear a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, uh, my boss is cutting back and he's cut my hours and I'm not, I'm not making as much as I did and so forth. But the same people who tell me that, I don't hear too many of them say, and I'm taking that time that I'm not working and I'm seeking God. If you treat this in a positive way, you've got an extended vacation, <laughs> which you shouldn't waste watching CNN. Because faith doesn't come by watching CNN. Fear and dread cometh by watching CNN. Faith cometh by hearing the Word of God. You know, uh, everything shut down in March. I mean, uh, the last meeting I did in March was up in Denver, Colorado. And as soon as I got out of that service, I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, flew home after the service, and the next day everything shut down. Now, I had... I, 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 I booked my schedule a year in advance, sometimes two years in advance. I was already scheduled to be all over the world and, and, and in a number of churches across America. We had to cancel all of them. Uh, I was going to be in France, in Ireland, in England, uh, uh, Wales, all in one trip in April. We had to cancel all that. Italy, April, uh, uh, cancel that. Uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, there were a number of nations I was going to be in during this year. Had to cancel them all. Had to cancel all of the meetings that I was going to be speaking in in the U.S. The only meetings I did was with Brother Copeland in his virtual victory campaign, which he did from his church, Eagle Mountain Church, or from his TV studios, which that was just across town from me. So the only meetings I did from March 
up until, I don't know, end of July, was local with him, okay? And I didn't start traveling again till about mid-August. And I've been a few places since then, but nothing like the schedule I normally keep. But God. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. In those early days when I first started, I had to do meetings everywhere because that was the source of my income. I'm a traveling minister. And, and I traveled. And you, you were given offerings sometimes. <laughs> and that was, that was how we supported the ministry. That was how I was paid. I was how... The few employees I had back in those days, how they were paid, you know, that's how we kept everything running. If we'd have had this kind of pandemic back then when I first started, man, in the natural, it would have been extremely hard. But over a period of time, you know, we, we uh, of course, we've grown as a ministry. We have offices all over the world, staff all over the world. And I, I, I let my staff know when this thing hit in March. I had a staff meeting and, and recorded it and sent it to all of our offices around the world. And I said, I promise you, I will not lay off one person. Not only that, I will not cut your pay one dime. Not only that, the first thing I'm going to do is give you all a raise. Because we are going to watch God come through for us just like he always had. And he hasn't disappointed us. Once again, we're having our finest year. Hallelujah. Why? Because this is covenant with God. Amen. And Psalm 89, 34, a scripture I learned way back there, right along with, with uh, the righteous shall never be forsaken, was my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has come from my lips. If God says he's going to take care of you, as we used to say, you can't say it now, you can take it to the bank. Well, that's not real secure anymore, but back one time I used to say that. Amen. If God says he's going to take care of you, then he'll take care of you. Amen. Like my daddy used to say, just hide and watch. Amen. He'll take care of you. So notice here, he says that those that seek the Lord... You know, if you're still believing for a job or your job to be uh, restored, take this time and make it quality time in the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't, don't use, don't, don't make it wasted time because the Bible is very clear. Those that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Amen. I can't improve on that. So I'll just read it like it says. Those that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Can you say amen? amen? Now go with me to that same chapter and let's look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, everybody shout but. but. Say don't stop reading with many are the afflictions of the righteous because you'll identify with the wrong thing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver them out of them all. Hallelujah. That's covenant with God. And God never breaks covenant. Can you say amen? 
You know, my attitude is, and it's always been, you know, I don't have any seminary training. <laughs> I don't have a religious bone in my body. I came out of a paint and body shop and into this. Okay? But my attitude from the beginning is, God, if you didn't mean what you said in this book, then you shouldn't have put it in my copy because once I find it, I'm going for it. Amen? If he didn't mean it, he shouldn't have put it in my copy. And I've noticed it don't make any difference what CNN says. The Bible says the grass shall wither, the, the, the flower will fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Hallelujah. Amen. You're not going to wake up in the morning and Philippians 4.19 say something else. It's going to say in the morning, no matter what happens tonight before we arise in the morning, it's still going to say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It'll never say, my God will supply all your need unless there's a coronavirus breakout. Thank God it never say that. Amen. When's God's people going to believe what he says? But you don't understand. <laughs> I was about to repeat something Jesse DePlantis says. <laughs> but he can say that and get away with it. They'd run me out of town. So I won't repeat what he says. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to when is God's people, God's people going to just simply believe what he says? Don't add religious tradition to it. Just take it for what it says. Can you say amen? amen? Now, go with me to the book of Genesis real quick. Genesis chapter uh, 12. Genesis chapter 12. And this is where God introduces himself to a man by the name of Abram. You know the story. Later changes his name to Abraham. And it says in verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curseth you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice Verse 2 again, I will bless thee. Amen. I will bless thee. Now the word bless means to empower, to prosper. Yes. Right. It's an empowerment. Right. It's not something you say when people sneeze. It's an empowerment. Right. See how far the devil has taken the, the strength of that out of, uh, out of, the, of the real meaning of the word? I don't even know where we got. And somebody said, bless you, bless you. Sometimes that's the only time some Christians ever hear the word bless. Somebody sneezes. I taught my family long ago. Bless means empower to prosper. I, I have a grandson. He's grown now and uh, preparing into full-time ministries, being mentored in our ministry. And when he was just a little boy, about three years old, 
He'd come over to my house and he loved to come out to my motorcycle shop. And, and I bought him a little motorcycle and, and uh, he, he'd see me working on mine and he's, he's like trying to copy his papa. You know, he, he'd look over and see what I'm doing and, and he'd act like he's doing it. I'd give him a screwdriver, a pair of pliers or something. He'd act like he's working on it. And he sneezed. And, and I'm, I heard him, but I was focused on something I was doing. And in a little while, he just got up right in front of me and put his hands on his hips. And said, Papa, I sneezed and you didn't empower me to prosper. I said, well, excuse me, empower you to prosper. He said, thank you, and went back to work, praise God. <laughs> if we sneeze, that's what we say, not bless you. We say, empower you to prosper. Sometimes I sneeze on purpose just to get an empowerment. <laughs> get another portion, hallelujah. Amen. So I will bless thee, means I will empower you to prosper. It also means I will empower you to increase. I will empower you to excel and to rise above what keeps everybody else down. That's what bless means. Amen. Now, he said, I will bless thee. And then the Bible tells us in, in Paul's writings in the book of Galatians, that if you have received Christ, then you're one of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means the same empowerment that God placed on Abraham is now on you and on me. You have the, the blessing of God. That means you have an empowerment to prosper, to increase, to excel. Now, you have it whether you ever tap into it or not. Amen. It's in you. It's on you. Psalm 3 verse 8 says uh, that God hath blessed his people. I'm one of his people. Uh, it also says the blessing of the Lord is on your head. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wear it. I didn't leave it at home when I flew down here today. I wore it right in here. The blessing is on me. I wear it like a coat. It goes everywhere with me. I'm going to take this coat off and hang it up in a little while, but I never hang up the blessing. I never lay it aside. I walk in it every day of my life. I expect it to show up every day of my life. Hallelujah. And consequently, it does in some way, in some form. Amen. And if you belong to Christ, then you have that same blessing on you. Lift your right hand and say this with me. I belong to Christ. I'm the seed of Abraham. And the same blessing that was on Father Abraham is now on me. I have been empowered to prosper by Almighty God. Lift that other hand and give him praise for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if we have the blessing on us and it is an empowerment to prosper, why aren't more Christians experiencing it? Well, Hosea answers that for us, lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. That's Hosea 3.8. My people are destroyed, or they're spoiled, or deprived of God's best for lack of knowledge. 
And then if you drop down a few more verses, it says, and some of his people reject knowledge. That's that's the probably the biggest problem. It's not so much today that people don't know this or they've never heard it. They reject it. They, they want to hang on to their religious tradition. Well, daddy was poor. Mama was poor. His daddy was poor and I'll be poor. Well, why don't you break the mold? I did. I broke the mold. I had a great aunt who was uh, never married. She was a, my, my dad used to call her an old maid school teacher. <laughs> she never married. She was up in age and about to die. And she, uh, I, I'd actually had never met her. She lived down in Florida. She was my great aunt. And my daddy would go down to see her from time to time. And he'd take some of my books and messages, recorded messages. And she, she just really loved me, even though I had never met her. She was a seven-day Adventist school teacher. And uh, she told my dad, she said, you know, I'm up in age and, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to be going home to be with the Lord soon. And she said, I sure would like to meet Jerry Jr. And it just never happened. I never was able to go down and see her. And so she told my dad to tell me. She said, I want you to tell Jerry Jr., my dad, Jerry Sr., that I have, I have traced the family tree as far back as I can trace it. And she said, I don't want you to tell him there's never been a Savelle that lives like him. And my dad said, well, why would you say that? She said, because none of them knew what he knows. Wow. Now, my grandfather, my dad's dad, which I thought the world of, now, I was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi on a farm that my granddad had. And my, my granddad came out of the Depression, went through the Depression. My dad was just a young boy during the Depression. And even though uh, my, my grandfather was a tither back then, he, 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 he attended the Calvary Baptist Church. He was a faithful tither. He had his own. He had he had a farm where he raised hogs, cattle, chickens, uh, crops. He was pretty much self-contained. He he sowed crops at the market, and that's how he got through, you know, and so forth. And God took care of him. But when the depression ended, God got my grandfather out of depression. But my grandfather never got depression out of him. You understand what I'm saying? He lived like it was still a depression all of his life. He never put another dime in a bank. He didn't trust banks ever again. He hid his money on the farm. When I found that out as a young boy, I became a treasure hunter. I found money buried all over that farm. I didn't get rid of that farm till just a few years ago. I wanted to make sure we found it all, you know? <laughs> But he, he was a miser. Now, I was the first grandchild, and I was special to him. And he, he somewhat treated me a little different than the rest of them. 
the others that came along because I was the first. And he talked the world to me. And, uh, uh, but I'd go to town with him. He drove a 39 Chevrolet up until 1957. <laughs> he also had a 1929 Model A Ford pickup. And that's what he hauled hay in or, or, or whatever he needed. And he, that's, we're talking about 1957. He's still driving a 39 Chevrolet and a 29 Model A pickup because he wouldn't spend money. And uh, he'd hide it. And he'd, he'd go to three different stores to find the cheapest loaf of bread. <laughs> Amen. Because he still had depression in him. Still depression minded. Now, I like to say it this way. If my dad hadn't moved us out of Vicksburg, Mississippi, when I was about six years old and got me away from my grandfather. Now, I went back every year and spent time with him, you know, on the farm and so forth. Uh, I couldn't bring my horse to Shreveport, Louisiana. So grandpa kept my horse and I'd spend summers there, you know. But if my dad had not moved us out of Vicksburg, Mississippi to Shreveport, Louisiana, I would have grown up with the same mindsets as my grandfather. And I loved him. I thought the world of him. I'd have grown up poverty minded. And that's the way he was. He was poverty minded. Wouldn't spend a dime on anything. You know, now he would for me. If I wanted to, I played baseball all my young life. If I, if I said something about, I need, a, I need a new glove, he'd go down, he'd go get some money buried off the farm somewhere and buy me a new glove <laughs> or buy me a new baseball, you know. A boy after that is tight, <laughs> you know. And I'd have grown up that way. Now, my dad still had some of his dad in him, when I was a little boy. But I saw him break loose from it, but not totally until I came to the Lord and I became my father's mentor. And I taught my mom and dad how to live a high life. Hallelujah. Their, their lives totally changed when they came to work for me because they'd heard the word like they never heard it before and learned to apply it. Amen. Hallelujah. So, you know, you can, you can live in the world, but don't have to have the world's mindsets. I don't, I don't watch CNN. I just don't watch it. It's depressing. When's the last thing you when the last time you heard something good come across it? <laughs> In fact, I don't watch most of the news channels anymore. Every once in a while I you know find out something in sports. <laughs> but here lately I got well, I don't even watch the sports anymore. <laughs> I don't have any respect for somebody that won't stand for the flag. That's, 
That's my own personal opinion. You don't have to accept it or not. But I'm not, I'm not watching guys that make millions of dollars because they're free in a nation that's free and they won't even stand and honor our flag. Amen. So what else is there to do? You don't watch CNN. You don't watch sports. You don't watch Fox News. You don't watch this. You don't watch that. What else is there left to do? Oh, hallelujah. I know where some good news can be found. Right in that book, hallelujah. Yeah, but don't you want to be informed with what? They only know what's happening now. Get in your book, in your Bible, and you can find out what's happening down the road. <laughs> I read the back of the book, We Win. I said, We Win. Look at your neighbor and say, We Win. The righteous will never be forsaken. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a good shout if you believe it. Now, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 22. But on your way there, stop at chapter 13. And let's see if this empowerment to increase is working. The blessing. Look at verse 2, Genesis 13. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Notice that. One chapter later, the blessing is already working. That empowerment to increase and to prosper is already working. I like to ask Christians everywhere I go, how many chapters will it take you? <laughs> Amen. One chapter later, and you see the blessing working. Now, go to Genesis chapter 22. And you can, you can read some exciting stories between Genesis 13 and Genesis 22, how God delivered him time and time again, and how he overthrew kings and, and, and so forth. And, and gave all the spoil, the tenth of it, to, to, to uh, Melchizedek. Yes, thank you. And uh, uh, the blessing working continually in his life. Then we get to chapter 22, and the Lord asked him to do something. He said, I want you to take your son. Now this son, Isaac, Paul says, Ishmael was of the flesh, Isaac of the spirit. So that means that Isaac was a miracle. He was a, uh, uh, Ishmael was of the flesh. That, that represented leaning to the arm of the flesh. But Isaac was by faith. He was the miracle child. And now God is asking him to take Isaac and offer him. And if you read it closely, Abraham didn't hesitate. He loved Isaac. It's very, very uh, clear that he loved Isaac. But he didn't hesitate because he'd already discovered when God said in Genesis 12, I will empower you. I'll put my blessing on you and you will excel. He'd already proved it to him by chapter 13, by making him a wealthy man. 
He already proved it to him by chapter 16, where he defeated all those kings. He already proved it to him when Sarah had a child in an old age when it was impossible for her to bear a child. He'd already proven to Abraham time and time and time again that you can count on me. Put your trust in me. You can count on me. The book of Hebrews says that when Abraham, and I'm paraphrasing, when Abraham, in obedience to God, took Isaac up on that mountain to offer him, Abraham had already seen in a figure or a vision how this was going to end. Because he'd already found out that God is my source. God takes care of me. I have covenant with God. God has empowered me. And so when he, when he took Isaac up on the mountain to slay him, you remember on the way up, apparently Isaac has been involved in burnt offerings, so to speak, in the past because he knew what was required. Isaac said, you can read it in Genesis 22. I'm just telling you the story for the sake of time. Isaac said on the way up, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire. Where is the lamb? How would Isaac know about a lamb if he hadn't already been, uh, already experienced an offering like this with his father in the past? He knew, he knew what was required. We got the wood, we got the fire, but where's the lamb? Now here's what I want to point out to you. Look at verse Oh, about verse uh, 14, is it? What verse did you say? <laughs> Genesis 22, 18. Nope, that's not it. It's, it's uh, 14. Didn't I say 14? Abraham... No, I'm going to back up a little bit. I know what I'm talking about. Just wait a minute. <laughs> Look at verse 8. Hallelujah. You ought to try to do this sometime. Amen. Look at verse 8. Abraham said, now when he, when they got everything set up, the altars prepared, they got the wood, they got the fire. Isaac don't know yet that he's the offering. <laughs> Abraham didn't turn and say, uh, by the way, you're it. And the next verse say, and 20 years later, they caught up with Isaac in Egypt. No, it says, look how he answered his son, verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now underline or highlight the phrase, God will provide. God will provide. That is the first time you see that phrase written in the Bible. 
It's not the first time God made provision because we've already seen God providing for Abraham all along the way. But it's the first time those words were spoken. God will provide. Now, most theologians agree. that this comes under the category of the law of first mention. Amen. That it is a hermeneutical law. You didn't think I was that smart, did you? <laughs> that once you see it in the Bible, it's carried out throughout the Bible Amen. and from generation to generation. So the very first time that this is spoken, God will provide. Yeah, that's good. It comes under the law of first mention. And it is a principle that will be carried out for the rest of our lives. Hallelujah. Now, Paul proves this with Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need. Why was he so sure? Because it's a hermeneutical principle. It comes under the law of first mention. If God provided for Abraham, then God would provide for Isaac. And you read testimonies where God did so. And if he provided for Isaac, he'll provide for Jacob. And if he'll provide for Jacob, he'll provide for David. If he provides for David, he'll provide for Jerry. Amen. Or whatever your name is. It's a law. <laughs> a spiritual law. It's not just words in a book. God will provide. You ought to get to saying it more often. God will provide. Every time something negative rises up in your life, God will provide. Every time there's a financial need, God will provide. Amen. You're loosing spiritual power. And God confirms His Word with signs following. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that's one of the reasons why we're having the kind of year we're having is because I've never stopped believing nor saying God will provide. Hallelujah. Amen. I like what the message translation says. God will see to it. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry about a thing. God will provide. God will see to it. Hallelujah. I don't know what that does for your faith, but it, it causes my faith to, to get higher than a Georgia pine tree. Hallelujah. Amen. God will provide. God will see to it. You know, uh, growing up, my dad, I like to say what my dad didn't know about repairing automobiles, working on automobiles, they hadn't invented yet. He was the best. Oh, my goodness. He was amazing. And, and I, I, as a little boy, I just, I just stand and watch him. And I wanted him to teach me everything he knew. And he did. 
Now, I, I don't think that I ever got quite as good as my dad. He thought I did, but I, he was the best. He always said, well, you were a better painter than I was. Well, I don't know about that either, but I knew I was trained by the best. He had a great reputation. And I didn't think like other kids did, other, other boys did. When, when we come up on a wreck, particularly one that's been totaled out, everybody'd say, oh my goodness, boy, that thing's total loss, isn't it? First thing come out of my mouth was, that's one my daddy can fix. I, my daddy can fix that. Oh, your daddy can't fix I said, you hide and watch. My dad can fix it. They don't wreck them bad enough. My dad can't fix. My dad was trained by General Motors in 1953 to work on Corvettes when they came out in 1953. He became a Corvette specialist. And, and, and not many body men knew how to work on Corvettes because they were built out of fiberglass and not many body, body men knew how to work fiberglass. So from 53, 54, all the way up to about 57 until others began to learn. If you bought a Corvette in North Louisiana or South Louisiana or uh, Eastern Mississippi or Southern Arkansas or even East Texas and you wrecked it, more than likely, my dad was the man who repaired it. He just, he, he just amazing. In fact, the first Corvette I got, I was 16 years old and I went to Longview. I went to uh, uh, Hallsville, Texas, not too far from Longview because they had a drag strip there where all us boys used to drag. And I was at the drag races one day and a 58 Corvette ran into a barrier and wrecked it and, and fiberglass splintered all over the place. I ran down there and said, you want to sell it? He said, boy, it's just in pieces. I said, I'll, I, I, I want to buy it. I bought that Corvette and, and, and went down the drag strip gathering up pieces of fiberglass because you couldn't, you couldn't, back then you couldn't buy, you know, clips and so forth. You'd just buy the piece and put it back together like a jigsaw puzzle. I brought that thing home. My dad said, son, where in the world did you get that? I said, at Hallsville, Texas, at the drag strip. He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, you're going to repair it. <laughs> you're going to build me a Corvette. So my first Corvette was 19, I was 16 years old as a 1958. And I've been driving them ever since, hallelujah. But my attitude was, my dad can fix it. Now, Terry and Jerry, my daughters, they grew up with that attitude about me. Our daddy can fix it. In fact, uh, Terry bought a car a few years ago and she had an accident in it and had to take it to a, a body shop, the dealership where she bought it. And she came out to see us after she picked it up. And when she got out of the car, I noticed the door was dropping a little bit, the front door on the, on the driver's side. And, and I said, Terry, what side of that car did you wreck? She said, on the left side. I said, well, they didn't uh, prepare, repair it properly. She said, I know, Daddy, the door drops every time I get out. I said, go on in the house, see your mom, I'll fix it. She come back and it worked perfectly. And she said, my daddy can fix anything. 
She wanted to know how I did it. I said, it's a secret. <laughs> it's the tools of the trade. Hallelujah. You know, there's some things I still remember, praise God, you know, but they grew up thinking, my daddy can fix it. My daddy can fix it. Ever since I've come to the Lord since 1969, they just don't wreck them bad enough. My God can't fix. They just, they just, they, they just don't uh, come down with a disease that my God can't heal. They don't, they, they can't make a, 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 a famine that my God can't provide for his own end. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, my God will provide. And I, I hope that takes on new meaning to you tonight. My God will provide. Can you say amen? God will see to it. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I want to move quickly here. Uh, Michelle asked me earlier, Brother Jerry, usually in October you receive a word from the Lord, a prophetic word, and, and that's what you preach all year long all over the world. Have you received it yet? I said, oh, yes. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. I think it's really interesting. You know, God calls things that be not as though they were. Right. You don't, you, you will never, ever see God break out in a sweat Amen. over something going on in the world. Amen? Amen. And it's amazing to me how that God will tell me to do something. And it takes more money than I've ever seen in my life. And he says it real calm, <laughs> with a smile. Yeah. It's like money is no object to him. Yes. You ever notice that? Yes. He just expects you to trust him, believe for it, sow toward it, and watch it happen. Hallelujah. Well, coming into October, I usually spend some quality time just to hear what God's got on His agenda for the coming new year. And I heard this, and I thought it was a, a little bit strange in the natural, but not strange to God, and not strange to people who know God. I said, Lord, what's on your agenda for your people for two, two, uh, 2021? He said, abundant overflow. Abundant overflow. Write that down. 2021, a year of abundant overflow. Now, you say, is that going to happen to everybody in the body of Christ? No, I wish it would. But not everybody will mix their faith with it. Not everybody will accept it. Remember, Hosea said they reject. There are people today in churches all over the world that, that reject. They just, they just can't, their mind can't handle it. With everything that's going on around us, how could God do this? Well, I always like to say it this way. You don't get to be called God if you can't do things like this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, first of all. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world. In fact, well, let me let me do this before we read this verse. I just told you what the Lord said about abundant overflow. Now, before we go any further, I want you to say out loud, God will provide. God will see to it. Now, every time you say abundant overflow, and I encourage you to say it often, decree it often, get it in your, get it in your mouth, get it in your mind, get it in your heart, and then follow it up with God will provide and God will see to it. Because in the natural, you can't see any way that that could happen. So it'd have to be God. Amen. It'd have to be God. Abundant overflow. Now, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The Holy Spirit has been sent to reveal to us the things that God wants us to have, the things that God wants us to enjoy. Can you say amen? amen. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, you all know that verse. He says, I know the, the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good, thoughts of peace, and not of evil that you might have an expected end. Now, the contemporary English version says it this way. I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, and not of suffering. Now, that's the thoughts of God. My plans include for you a future filled with hope, a future of success, and not of suffering. Then the New International Version says, my plan is to prosper you. My plan is to prosper you. Hallelujah. Now, in John 10, 10, you know this verse. King James says that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. The Amplified says, in abundance to the full and until it overflows. And until it overflows. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm headed for the overflow. <laughs> you may not be there right now, but that's where God wants to take you. That's in His plans to the overflow. Why, why would God want you and I to experience overflow? It's very simple. So that not only our needs are met, but we can get involved in the needs of others. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the, that's the reason. I mean, it's not so you can consume it on yourself. It's so you can help others. So you can be a blessing to others. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Now, Psalm 115 verse 14 says, The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Now, 
if that verse is true, and it is, then that says to me, I don't know how you read it, but that says to me, no matter how much increase I've already experienced, there's more. I haven't seen it all yet. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you haven't seen it all yet. Now, Deuteronomy 28 verse 11 says, And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. That's part of the blessing of Abraham. And we're the seed of Abraham. We're heirs according to the promise. The Amplified Bible says, The Lord shall make you have a surplus of prosperity. A surplus. That means you can't use it all on yourself. There's enough left over to take care of somebody else. That's overflow. Abundant overflow. The psalmist David said one time, my cup runneth over. That's overflow. Not just enough, but overflow. More than enough. Can you say amen? Proverbs 10, 22 says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. The message translation says, God's blessing makes life rich. A rich life. And a rich life is more than just having enough money to meet your needs and enough to get involved in other needs. A rich life is enjoying good health, having the peace of God on you when you go to bed at night. Amen. That's a rich life. Hallelujah. And then Malachi, as you well know, chapter 3 and verse 10 talks about uh, to the tither, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that there will not be enough room to contain it. That means overflow. If you're a tither, you should have been shouting right now. I'm a tither. I got the promise. I got the promise of God for overflow. Now, listen now, the message translation reads from Malachi 3.10. Test me in this and see if I won't open the heaven, open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Another translation says, I will throw open the floodgates and pour out to you so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Hallelujah. That's overflow. This is promised by God. It's covenant with God. Some generation has got to experience it. Why not us? In case you hadn't noticed, this world is setting the stage for the return of Jesus. This has got to be experienced before he comes. And I have reason to believe that we're the generation that he's coming for. So I believe that my generation, amen, is going to experience abundant overflow. Amen. And remember what Jesus said? And this gospel shall be preached to all the world, and then the end will come. Do you know how much money it takes to get the gospel to the world? 
abundant overflow. We, we build churches all over the world. We build orphanages. We build uh, Bible schools. We've, we've built clinics. We're involved in, I don't just go overseas and preach. I plant. I, I am under an apostolic anointing. I'm a planter. It takes money to plant. <laughs> a lot of money. This is why God wants us to enter into the abundant overflow. How'd you like to be able, if your pastor stood up and said, we need to build a new wing for the children's ministry, and you were able to underwrite the whole project yourself. Amen. Brother Jerry, I just can't see me doing that. Well, you need to change what you can see. I, I thought you were going to start confessing, God will provide. God will see to it. Why, why couldn't you be the one? First time Kenneth Copeland came in 1969 and preached the message that changed my life. After he left town and I surrendered my life to the Lord, I wrote him a letter. I said, Brother Copeland, if I had a thousand dollars, I'd put it into your ministry so that you could reach other Jerry Savelles just like me. I said, sir, I don't have a thousand dollars. I don't even have a hundred dollars. I don't even have ten dollars. Sir, I don't have a dime that I can send you, but I'm not without seed. I wrote this in a letter. I'm not without seed. All I've got is prayer time. And I promise you I'll get up every morning at six o'clock, spend the first hour of my day praying for you and your ministry. Amen. That's all the seed I've got. Amen. But it didn't take a lifetime. Yeah. One day. I walked up to him and I said, Brother Cope, you remember that letter I wrote? I said, well, here's the $1,000. God bless me with $1,000. I took his hand. I had no idea what was going to come out of my mouth next. I thought I was just going to turn and walk away. I said, and one day it'll be 10000 I thought, dear God, when would I ever get 10000 But I remember the day I walked up to him and said, here's the 10000 and I heard this come out of my mouth. I did not premeditate. And one day I'll put a hundred thousand in. I thought, take me out, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Where would I ever get a hundred thousand? But I'll never forget the day. I walked up to him and I said, here's the hundred thousand dollars. And I could hardly wait to hear what came out of my mouth this time. I said, and one day I'll put a million dollars in your ministry. And I didn't flinch like I had done in past. Why? Because I had learned God will provide. God will take care of it. Amen. And we were out in Anaheim preaching in one of his believers convention and the Lord gave me a message one night. That message was so powerful and the anointing of God was so thick in that place. Brother Copeland afterwards, and I didn't even know about it, he didn't tell me. He didn't ask me. When we got home, he wrote a letter to his partners. And he said, Jerry Savelle just preached one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. And if you'd like a copy of it, I'll send it to you absolutely free. You need to listen to this message. He didn't ask for a dime. He just said, write to me. I'll send it to you free. Amen. Well, people ordered it all over the world. 
but they sent an offering anyway without, he didn't ask for an offering. He said, I'll send it to you free. Just ask for it. And they sent an offering and it totaled $1.3 million. I said, Brother Copeland, I just put a million dollars in your ministry. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. God will provide. Amen. God will see to it. Hallelujah. So don't, don't limit God. Come on up to another level. Make the decision that going into 2021, you're not going to be on the same level you are right now, spiritually. Faith cometh by hearing. You can grow your faith to another level. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I will throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Hallelujah. Well, I need to stop right there. I'm taking enough of your time. Uh, To be continued. Hallelujah. Amen. You receive that tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord our best shout and thank Him. Praise God. Our God will provide. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, put your hands across your chest and I want to pray for you before pastor comes and change the order of the service. Carolyn, would you come stand with me? I want you to, because you know how to pray. (laughs) She prayed me in, praise God. I want you to pray over everybody in here that this will be their season to experience abundant overflow like never before in the name of Jesus. Amen. What an honor, God, to see what you've provided in your word for us and that we have the ability to stand upon it and to receive everything that you have promised us. The word declares and says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So tonight we have had our level of faith elevated to the point to where we can stretch our faith and receive what you promised in your word for us. So Father, right now, we as a congregation of West Houston Christian Center, stretch our faith out. Put your hands out like this. Out like this. And pull it towards you. Pull that overflow towards you. That overflow belongs to us and we receive it because you said in your word that it was your desire and what you've given Jerry for 2021, the great overflow for your people. Well, we open our hands and our hearts to receive that overflow in Jesus' Jesus name. name. Amen. Amen. We receive it. Shall we I receive, receive it? it? We receive it. And give the Lord your best shout. Amen. We receive it. Hallelujah. Amen. You have something else? Yeah, I want to say something. You know, in the midst of what we're going through, and 
I don't turn the TV on very much. I don't watch the news, but I do read my Fox News, you know, on my phone. I just read the headlines for anything interesting. We're, we're not like ostriches with our head in the sand. We know and we keep up on current events and what's going on daily. But I found out that there are two ways to have peace in your life. Would you like to know how? One is don't watch the news. Second is don't get on the scales. <laughs> Did you know that there are little critters living in your closet? They are called calories. And they work at calories. And they work at night stitching your clothes tighter and tighter and tighter. <laughs> So the way you have peace is don't watch the news and don't get on the scales. Oh, the cleaners. The cleaners were oh, shrinking yeah. your clothes. Okay. Well, peace is something that Jesus said he gives to us. He gave us his peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. And right now, our adversary is trying to take our peace from us. But he gave it to us. So I'm telling you, if you find there are areas in your life where peace is just disappearing, fight for your peace. It belongs to you. He paid a price for you to walk and live in peace. And I've decided... I'm not going to have one moment of my peace taken from me. If your schedule is too busy, if you're doing too much, then eliminate something from your schedule and get peace back in your life. Whatever you have to do, protect your peace at all costs. Because I'm telling you, peace is where tranquility is. And then that's where you have the presence of God, is when you walk and abide and live in peace, that's when his presence comes up on you. And he wants his children to live the good life. Amen. He wants us to walk and live in peace and live the good life. Amen? Amen. 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 Bless you. Praise God. All right. <laughs> 